This podcast is brought to you by On Track Studio. Hello and welcome to the Stillness Everyday Podcast. My name is Herodotos and this podcast exists to help you find stillness in all aspects of your life, in finance, in health, in mindset and in your relationships. I created this business because I believe that if you can develop the ability to find stillness in your mind, you will learn to create harmony in all aspects of your life. Find us at Stillness Every Day on social media or stillnesseveryday.com. A lot of people ask me how they can get started with meditating. Now, my first experience with meditation was at a Vipassana retreat, which is 10 days in silence. But I understand this isn't practical for most people. That's why we created the Stillness Everyday Journal. This journal has a range of prompts, which allow you to not only create your day, but reflect on your day at the end of it. The journal also has a range of audible meditations, which are perfect for beginners. Check out stillnesseveryday.com. All right, Michelle, thank you for coming on. So we've got Michelle from Unfuck Your Relationships podcast. Yes. And we're going to dive deep into, well, probably how to unfuck your relationship. So if you're going through um, maybe repeating same cycles or you feel you might be accepting mediocrity, maybe you're not completely fulfilled in your sex life. That's what we're going to talk about. I'm so excited. Would you like to give us a background first on what you do or what got you to where you are? I'll talk a little bit about what got me to where I am because my relationships were cooked like (laughs) straight up. And basically I had this moment where I had been broken up with again. And that was a repeated cycle for me that usually around like eight months, maybe a year and a half tops. But like I would always end up getting broken up with. And I remember crying on my kitchen floor being like why and I had this kind of come to Jesus moment where I was like am I the fucking problem like I'm the common denominator here is it possible that maybe I'm contributing to the demise of my relationships because prior to that it had been like "Mm -mm, no it's it's them (laughs) for sure yeah it's their fault they're cooked like I have nothing to do with that I am God's gift yeah exactly And so I ended up going to Thailand for five weeks by myself, which was crazy for me to do, like four days later after I was just gone. And that was kind of the start of my spiritual awakening, if you will. And I started, like, it's wild to me because I remember that time where I didn't know what inner child work was. Like, I didn't even know that you had an inner child. And I remember being explained that concept and I was like, wait, what? oh this explains why I'm so sad and I'm like looking for mommy and daddy in every single partner that I choose so essentially I started on this healing journey for myself and then I was like I think I think I want to share this with people and that's kind of what started my thing so I actually started in teaching sex and then it evolved into uh, I would hear people talk about their relationship issues and I was like "Mm, this is actually the core of it And it's evolved into really like coming home to yourself first and foremost. So that's pretty much what I do. Self-love, sex, relationships, dating, love, all the things. And how long long ago are we talking? That's not even that long ago. That was like 2018. 2018, yeah. Yeah, which is crazy when I hear people be like, I was in it. I've been doing the healing work for 30 years. I'm like, I haven't been doing it that long, but so much has changed. That's the thing. I think once you really commit to healing, 
you can change so quickly. So quickly. I was like, I'm going all in. Yeah, I'm not fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> Would you mind sharing what your cycle was that you can't, what um, awareness you came to that you were contributing to the relationships falling apart? Mm-hmm. The, the unavailable man that was always like my kryptonite, you know? It's like that guy that I would have insane chemistry with. The sex was off the charts. But there was always an element of me having to chase them and having to fight for my love or fight for their love rather. And so I would unconsciously choose these people who would time and time again, not be able to meet my needs. And then I would internalize that as like, I'm just asking for too much. So lower your standards. And that was obviously not what needed to happen. I needed to actually be able to meet my own needs but yeah, this cycle of just, just men who I didn't feel chosen by. I didn't feel like they really wanted to be there. I felt like I was always kind of being tolerated in a relationship. And so I would, yeah, go for these guys who were emotionally unavailable and then do everything I possibly could to try to open their heart and make them see why they wanted to be with me. And like, obviously, that's just a losing game. That's never going to win. Yeah. So what, what did you tie that back to from your childhood? Like, what was the... My parents' own emotional unavailability, you know, and... Towards you or towards one another? Both. Every... All of the above. Yeah, totally. Like, I didn't... I didn't realize it because they had always provided for me. Like, my physical needs were always met. I was actually quite spoiled as a child with gifts and stuff. But coming to that realization that my emotional needs maybe weren't met... And I never really felt seen or validated or, you know, like it was always kind of, oh, Michelle's too, too hard. She's too hard to deal with. And then that's what I always felt in relationships. I was the problem. Interesting. So the chemistry one, something else I wanted to touch on, because what I've learned this year is going into what I've, what I've really learned this year is going into relationships from chemi- from a chemistry point of view you kind of blindsided from everything else. Would you mm-hmm. agree with that? 100%. I'm like, I hear all the time, and I'm sure you've heard this as well and maybe experienced it, that like yeah. butterflies yeah. Yeah. in the tummy. Oh, oh my God. I'm like, that's not that's butterflies. Not- that's anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Your nervous system is like, this person knows how to hurt us in the exact way that we like being hurt. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening, you know? And so it's this... But the same feelings of, of um, nervousness or anxiety are also excitement, right? So I suppose, but in the same way, you're excited about feeling the same pain again. Exactly, because we love familiarity, right? And so we're unconsciously projecting our wounds onto this person, and then we're actually like, none of this is conscious, right? You're not like, "Mm -hmm, I've projected daddy onto this person, and I'm going to heal my daddy wounds through this man. No, it's like this unconscious feeling and this recognition of, they feel like home. Oh, I feel so comfortable with them. It's just easy. Um, and like this, this nervous, excited, buzzy kind of feeling. But what's happening is your unconscious mind is actually trying to heal an original wound through this person. And that's why I think doing the healing work on your own is so important. Now, I also think that there is maybe a time limit on how much you can do by yourself. Because 
that was my thing. I started to do all of this by myself. And then my somatic practitioner at the time was like, you know that the wound was created in relationship. And so, so when it, it needs, comes back up, it'll be represented again. Exactly. It needs to be healed in relationship. Because every time I was single, I was like, I think I've worked through all of my relationship shit. And then I would get into a relationship and be like, I'm triggered. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would agree. I've been probably, this is the longest period I've been single for. And I've kind of come to that realization now. I'm like, all right, it's probably time to, you know, get, engage another relationship to bring everything back mm-hmm. up and see how much I have grown. Yeah, because your triggers there, your triggers are there to show you what still requires healing within you, like what still requires some love and attention and care and acceptance. And so they're not what a lot of people do. I find is they get triggered and then they're like, "Whoa, not, no, 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 back off. I need to, I need to do another course. Mm-mm, it's not time yet." And I'm like, "No, this is good. Lean into that, you know, because these projectional kind of relationships can be actually really healthy for healing if both people." are leaning into that. But if it's just one person, I think there's only so far you can go. Well, that that was something I wanted to touch on. So if you're in a relationship where you've gotten to the point where you're now just almost, like, let's say it's abuse or you're, there's always an argument, but rather than giving it back now because you are now just at peace, you let them get angry, then they calm down, you get to the point where you've healed so much and you're realizing that they're still there, at what point are you accepting mediocrity or should you remain patient for that individual if you see they're growing slowly? So I suppose there's, there's an, another thing I said, um, to, I was speaking to someone else about, we are talking about the growth of people. I'm like, oh, is such and such, you know, are they growing? Um, and they're like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're growing, but it's like they're crawling when we can run. Mm. So at what point, like, at, what would you say there? Super nuanced, hey. Like, I I think I want to give a disclaimer of, like, not to take this podcast, like, so literally of, like, hard and fast, you know? Okay, this is, like, Michelle said, and so this is how it's going to go. For me, I've been in so many relationships where I was growing, and they were very committed to not growing. Um, And so I actually just don't think those relationships can work. Now, I'm not saying if you're doing, you know, somatic therapy, that now your partner needs to go to somatic therapy. Like, it doesn't have to look like the same, the same thing. But what are the actual qualities that you're wanting, right? Do they have the level of communication that you need? Are they leaning into conflict? Are they leaning into difficult conversations? Can you, you know, have that intimacy and closeness and, and also have interdependence? It's like, if those things aren't present you may want to evaluate that. And so at what point, I think it's something that only, only they can know. Only they can know. Yep. And I and I think that a lot of people will go, mm, I don't know, I don't know. You do. I think that's what I was going to say. I think everyone does know. And it's the fear of either letting go of that person or being alone or you know maybe being alone is their trauma. So they're actually scared to let go. Yes. But in your heart, if you, like, I don't know if you meditate, but I know if I just sit down and close my eyes for 10 minutes, I know like I trust my intuition anyway, but if I sit down, I truly know. It's like, okay, I've got to do that. There's no question. Yep. It's once you start to question the intuition, then you are creating infinite possibilities of that one thing. So then you get confused because there's so many choices. Yeah, and you start to degrade your self-trust. Yeah, exactly. And then you're asking everyone and their fucking dog, yeah. <laughs> of like, what should I do about my relationship? Like, 
Bitch, you know, you know what to do in your relationship. You just don't want that to be the answer because you want the fairy tale ending, which I get, like we all do. Like it would be amazing if you start to do the work and then suddenly your partner goes, I've had an epiphany and I've realized I have an abandonment wound and I'm going to do these things. And they actually follow through with that. But I feel like a lot of people, men and women, talk a lot of talk and don't walk a lot of walk. Do you know what I mean? Like... You have to put your money where your mouth is and take the action. And for me, what I was really looking for in a partner was I don't believe that actions speak louder than words. What I was looking for is someone whose words aligned with their actions, that it's the same thing. And so for me, that was a deal breaker. If that was not present, if someone's saying like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to get help or do whatever, and they're consistently not doing that, for me, that's a deal breaker. I agree. And yeah. then, and also the, um, the speed of it, it's like, well, you know, you could work on this every day, not once a week. So, yeah, because I think there's this, you know, misconception that doing the work means sitting at therapy once a week or, you know, going to these tantric healing retreats, which I mean, I've done all of the things, <laughs> all of the things. But it's actually more so on a day-to-day basis of being willing to lean in, have conversations, set boundaries, say no, say yes, say, oh, I feel vulnerable. Like, that's the thing. So what, what does a day look like for, um, for Michelle going through a healing process for a bit of advice for someone else? Or maybe they can take that on board. Look, it has looked very different <laughs> like throughout the days. Sometimes it's like having, you know, ecstatic bliss and having orgasms. And other times it's like crying with my head in my hands being like, oh, my God, I think I'm going to die. Yeah. I think when I first started, it was very structured in terms of having a practice around journaling. And I had a lot of support. Like I was constantly in coaching and different containers and whatnot and therapy and all of the things because... To be honest, I felt that I was broken and I needed to be fixed. And it was kind of this frantic energy of like, help me, help me, help me, fix me, fix me, fix me. Which now it's like, oh, you're not broken. You don't need fixing. It's just how do you want to expand? So for me now, it's actually just a reflection piece. So I'm in an observation energy of noticing you know, okay, oh, when my partner does this, my my first response might be to, like, shut down mm. and act like I don't care. My first response might be to protect my vulnerability. Ah, oh, okay, interesting. So then once I notice it, then I have a choice. I can continue to be shut down and be like, yeah, fuck you. Like, you're not getting my vulnerability, which would have been my, my pattern as a child. Or I can be like, oh, okay. I've seen that. So now I'm going to lean in and I'm going to say, you know what? Actually, I just noticed that I shut down. And what's actually happening for me is that what you said really, you know, I I felt it it triggered me. I felt hurt. I felt upset. And and I went into it felt really vulnerable for me to go to that place and, and leaning into that. That's it. Your triggers are your trauma and relationships are healing containers. And I think the best thing to do is self observation. Like, why am I reacting this way? And when you do react, you go inside and you observe that feeling and go, why am I, why don't I like to feel this feeling? Like it's just another sensation, really. It's another emotion. But I think we, you know, we put good and bad on the, um, 
you know, we're sad, so that's bad. We've always got to be happy. But if you can just go inside and why am I angry? Feel the anger, observe the anger. What, what's, made, what's made this anger arise? Then we can move through it. Yeah, 100%. I think this is the biggest thing that I've taken from my, <laughs> from my healing journey, which is so funny, right? Because I feel like it's come full circle of doing this like roundabout thing of like, how do I never feel angry again? How do I never feel shame again? Da, 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 da. And it's actually come to the point where it's like, oh, you actually just accept it. Yeah. Yeah. You actually just feel the thing. And I think it's really easy for people to be like, okay, yeah, I get it. And then they go into, they'll feel anger, for instance, and then start to intellectualize it about yeah. like, okay, why am I feeling this? And like, what does that mean? Oh, it was probably that thing that happened when I was six years old. And like, the, like slow down and actually just feel those sensations in your body. Because exactly as you said, like, we're all just trying to run from those sensations. And the running with the thoughts is what's actually perpetuating them. Because when you're thinking about what it is, you're perpetuating the feeling to continue. If you can just accept it and be with it, it eventually just passes away. And the more you can accept and be with it, the lower like the tolerance, eventually it just you stop getting angry about that situation. Totally, totally. Because you cannot transcend something until you've accepted mm. that it's there in the first place. And actually, I remember my ex saying this, and he's like not, well, at the time, like I don't know what he's doing now, but he was not in, involved in the work at all. And... I kept saying, like, but I have this abandonment wound. I have an abandonment wound. And he was like, if you keep saying that you have an abandonment wound, you're going to keep perpetuating the story that you have an abandonment wound. And I was like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Like, that that was so insightful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's the victim mentality of I've always had this. and That's why I can't have what I really want. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very unattractive trait. If you're someone saying that, like, I've been like this for 10 years, been like this since I was 10, like, any other advice other than that? Just stop saying that? Well, the thing is, like, I'm not saying, like, oh, so you should just pretend you don't have an abandonment wound. Yeah. Right? No, it's real it feels very real and you know I love the way my partner describes this he says trauma is just undigested life experience Hmm. and I love that because people have this like trauma Hmm. and like why would anyone want to dive into that that sounds terrifying and scary and big and it can be but it's like oh it's just these these undigested life experiences it's just these parts that are like oh stuck and they maybe need a little bit of help so I think rather than hiding behind the, I have an abandonment wound, I have an abandonment wound, let's actually sit with that abandonment wound. Mm. Like, sit with it, feel what that feels like to be abandoned and love that part of you. Like, it's okay that you're here. Um, It's, you know, the way that I see it is like, imagine you were with a four or five-year-old child, this, you know, let's say, for instance, I was super reactive, right? I would blow up at literally anything, And I would hate that part of me. Like, why am I so fucking angry? And it's like, if a four-year-old was getting angry, I wouldn't look at that four-year-old and be like, why the fuck are you so angry? Shut the fuck up. Right? I wouldn't do that. But that's exactly what I was doing to myself. You know, but a lot of us, myself included, would hide behind like, oh, this is just the way that I am without actually then taking action to work with that. Can you come back from cheating in a relationship? I think so. 
What about a second time? Okay. Okay. Let's talk about this. Again, it's not literal. Everyone's different for every relationship, right? I think what happens a lot of the time is that someone cheats and the other person who has been cheated on goes, if you do it again, I will leave you. And then that person cheats again and they don't stick to their boundary. Mm. And they're like, if you do it again, (laughs) then I will leave you. And like that keeps happening because actually now this person has gone, oh, that's not your boundary. That's your preference. It's not a boundary if you if it doesn't have consequences. And like, you know, I say that term very loosely, but consequences of like, it's not a punishment. Like, I'm not punishing you for cheating. I'm actually just standing by my own standards. So in terms of coming back from cheating, I think if both parties are really committed to being really honest, being really vulnerable, to holding each other in the in the pain that has actually been caused, you know, because I think cheating can usually, well, I think always actually comes from unmet needs. Mm. Now, again, someone might go, are you saying that I'm not meeting their needs? Like, no, they might have an unmet unmet need for like constant validation or something. And Mm. that's what needs to be looked at. Mm. So in terms of coming back a second time, I'm not saying it would never happen, I'm sure it could, and that's something you need to discern in your own relationship, but you both need to be willing to be super honest and vulnerable. I was going to ask, is, would you say, what would you say the most important thing is in a successful relationship, like starting from the, like the foundation of it, building the foundation? Because I would, I would, you know, spiritual beliefs, worldview, but then I think trust. Because truthfulness is like the foundation of all virtue. So if you don't have any trust, if you are cheating, then it's kind of then all other virtues kind of go out the window. It's like, yeah, yeah. I was going to say something similar because there's so many things that I think are really important in relationships. But I think ultimately it, it comes down to trust. And something that I heard Esther Perel say, and I'm paraphrasing, so I just love this quote. She's like, trust is not the idea that we will never hurt each other. Trust is the idea that we will hurt each other and that we will both make an effort to repair. And I love that because it's not realistic to think that you're never going to hurt each other. Now, there's a difference between hurting someone intentionally and hurting someone unintentionally. I think we can all feel that experience of saying something and it really not landing for the other person and then being like, oh, like that really touched a, a wound that really triggered me. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I take responsibility for that. We lean in, all of that. And so, yeah, I mean, everyone's going to have different... This is the other thing, too. Like, what is cheating? What is cheating for you in your relationship? Because something that might be cheating to me might not be for you. Yeah, so you have to clearly kind of communicate what that is to one another. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think having those open conversations and being really honest and trusting that the other person can hold that right like my partner and I have monthly relationship check-ins and it's like you know some of the questions are pretty gnarly of like what do you think that I need to be stepping into or that I could step into or you know 
I can't even remember. There's so many questions. <laughs> I think we actually need to refine it. But yeah, like these questions of, ooh, okay, I'm going to say this thing of what I'm seeing. And I trust that you can hold that and you're not going to go, what do you mean? So I've gone off on a little bit of a tangent there. But How yeah. important um, would you say that's in your relationship to have these monthly check-ins? So important. So important because... For, for me, anyways, I really love having that container to be able to say what's there for me. And it's not all like what's not working. Yeah. It's also what do, we, what do you love about me? Yeah. What really is working? What do you want more of? What are you excited about? Mm. So it's not all like doom and gloom. It's actually more so what we love about each other. But yeah. I think so many people are in their relationships on autopilot. But most people are autopilot their entire lives. so Totally. It's hard to have a conscious relationship if your day-to-day is the most is a robot. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Amen. Absolutely. And it's like, it just blows my mind and baffles me that people think that they're, they lead their lives in one way, and yet somehow when they get into a relationship, it's going to be completely different. I'm like, if you're not being honest with yourself, what makes you think you're going to get into a relationship and be really honest with this person, right? If you're exactly, if you're leading your life in a very unconscious way, what makes you think you're going to have a conscious relationship? That doesn't make sense. It's that, that quote. I love this quote. It's like, how you do anything is how you do everything. I fully believe that. Yeah. What's in the micro is in the macro and vice versa. Like, just look at the way you show up when... You know, a friend says something that you don't like. Do you just people please and go, mm hmm? You're, you know, or do you avoid them? Are you ghosting people on dating apps? Like all of these things. Take a good hard look at your life and start to clean that stuff up. Yeah. Because yeah. it will reflect. You will just attract that back into you. A hundred percent. And I think that then carries through with deep, intimate sex. Do you, should we talk about that? Let's talk about sex. <laughs> Do you think the average person doesn't even kind of know what that realm looks like? Like conscious sex? Mm. Definitely. Definitely. I think sex is so, it can be, extremely intimate, mm. right? It is one of the most intimate things that we can do. Probably but the most. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, it is like you are fully exposed in every sense of the word. And again, I think people are running on autopilot or constantly thinking about what is he like or am I doing a good enough job or am I taking too long or does she like this or, or whatever the thing is rather than being in their own experience. And no one's talking about sex. Do you know how many people I've spoken to about having a safe sex conversation? And they're like, oh, I've never done that. What do you mean by a safe sex conversation? Like talking about STIs and uh, like your sexual health status. Hmm. Talking about, you know, are you on birth control or are you not? Using condoms, like all of that. I'm like, you guys are fucking adults. What <laughs> is happening? And again, it's like... That vulnerability 
mm. of having to have these conversations. But I will stand by this. If you are not mature enough to have a conversation about your sexual health status, you're not mature enough to be having sex. <laughs> I said it. So what do you think about casual sex then? It's fine. So. It's totally fine. I think, I think there's this misconception that in a romantic relationship, in a monogamous relationship, that's where all the respect and care and love is. And so then when they're having casual sex, it's like with these people who treat them like shit and are calling them at 2 a.m. like W-Y-D. Do you know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? And I, I say this often to clients as well because they think that it's either this horrible sex with a random or this like transcendent thing with a partner. And I'm like, why are we letting care and respect go out the window? Like this person is entering your body. Or if you're a man, you are entering someone's body. There should be a level of care and respect there. One of my clients has gotten on Field. I think that's the name of the app. And it's for like conscious sexual connections. And she's having the time of her life. And she's like, oh my God, I never knew casual sex could be this good and this fun and this safe. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I'm all for it. If that's your true desire. If it's true to that, yeah. I think a lot of people also go like, yeah, I'm just going to have casual sex, but you're settling because what you actually want is a relationship, but you're impatient. And so you want, you're like, something is better than nothing. And that's not the vibe. Giving into your sexual desires. Yeah, and I don't even know if it's so much sexual desires as much as it is these parts of us that are longing to be touched. Like, I, I, I really want connection. I want intimacy. But we don't know how to create that. So we think, oh, I'll just go fuck someone, you know? And particularly men, women have a lot more platonic touch in our everyday lives So I think there's a lot of hate on men for having casual sex, but I'm like, (laughs) I would too if I didn't. I'm talking about the average guy doesn't get that much physical touch and connection and intimacy, so that may be the only way that they know how. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. But how how would you – so you you would say that you would believe that casual sex has no um, impact on your future relationships? Okay, I love this question because I think so many people are like, but I want to manifest my partner. I want to manifest my partner. And so then I can't have casual sex. I'm like, do you know what's going to manifest your partner? You being in joy, Mm. you being in pleasure, you having fun and not hating your life. Mm. So if you are with someone and having casual sex and it's from a place of integrity, And truth, like, yes, this feels like a genuine desire. This feels juicy. This feels exciting. I'm enjoying the sex. We both know the boundaries. We both know this isn't going to go anywhere. We're okay with that. I don't think it impacts your ability to call in the one, you know, or or the partner that you want to have. Because when you meet this person, you can just cut it off, you know? So then when you go, I'll ask a different question. When you go into that relationship and you've had you know, X amount of casual partners, but this partner's not meeting that desire because you've now compare you're comparing to all the previous partners. I don't compare. Uh, you don't, but 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's, that's just not the energy or the frequency that I want to play in of comparing. Yeah. And, and if I'm with someone, okay, first off, let's not judge on first time sexual experiences together because sometimes that's awkward. It's weird. You don't know each other's bodies. So let's have a bit of, let's give people some grace and some patience. And I think a lot of people like throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, of like, well, sex is bad. Not nah, we're done. And there's an element of being able to communicate that needs to happen of like, oh, actually, I really enjoy it when you do this, or I like being touched this way, or show them, like masturbate in front of them, self-pleasure. Yeah, having this open line of communication rather than, oh, well, they don't get it right away, so fuck them. So you were counseling me to have more um, deeper intimate sex or improve the sex life of if I was in a relationship, what would you suggest? Improving your sex life with yourself. Yeah, right. First and foremost. And, and it's the same thing of right having a very unconscious relationship, unconscious day-to-day life, and then wanting a conscious relationship. It's like if you are constantly having an unconscious sex life with yourself, and then you expect to have, you know, tantric full body orgasms with a partner or like you know semen retention or something that might not line up so i would start looking at you know spending actual time with yourself touching your whole body being patient finding out and discovering what do you actually like what gives you pleasure because if you don't know yourself you can't communicate that to a partner so that's where it starts first and foremost, because I think people get really excited of like, ooh, what can I do with my partner? And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's actually start you with self-pleasuring and actually being able to be intimate with yourself first and foremost. Do you think people have a fear around telling their partners what they like? Totally. And what do you think that stems from? Insecurities or? Yeah, I think it can come from a couple of different places. One, not feeling safe to speak your desires. What if I'm rejected? What if I'm told no? What if they think it's weird? Like all this sexual shame stuff. And then I think there's also an element of, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to upset them. Like, oh, they're going to think that they're doing it wrong or doing a bad job. But, you know, that's, that's all stuff that can be worked through, right? And they might take it personally. That's okay. But what's the alternative? You don't say anything for 40 years? <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, 100%. That's like that, that is, it is the, it, it's the, the rest of your life will manifest the same thing. If that's the sort of approach you take in life, I suppose you'll take it with your partner too. Totally. So it's, again, having that open dialogue and being willing to risk that. Now, there's a way that you deliver that, mm. right? You don't go, I hate it. When you do this, it's awful. You know, there's a, it's speaking more from desire rather than criticism. So instead of, I hate it when you do this, it's, I love it when you do this. Or could you try this? Mm, yes. And like really affirming them when they are doing something that you love. And I suppose those, those same communications go for the rest of your life too. So Absolutely. Everything comes back to just improving yourself and being the best version of yourself to then meet into the relationship 100 percent. in every criticism there is a desire i like that yeah i've seen a lot of relationships and i've got a couple of friends who you know they they believe a relationship gets to the two-year mark and then falls apart 
what do you think the honeymoon phase is and would you say it's just the chemistry that you have with in those relationships that you ha- you were talking about earlier? I think pretty much every relationship has the honeymoon phase in some capacity that might be two months, it might be two years, but you literally are high on drugs, genuinely. <laughs> like you feel like you're high because you are, right? There's oxytocin, there's dopamine, serotonin, like all of these things that are flooding through your system And you see no wrong in this person. Oh my God, they're everything that I have been searching for. Like they can do no wrong. And then what happens is you go into the next phase, which is the power struggle, which is now instead of seeing all of their positive attributes, all you can see are all the things that piss you off. Those things that were once really endearing are no longer endearing to you. What makes the switch? Those chemicals start to, they start to, wear off. they start to wear off. Yeah. And I think also too, it usually happens with major life changes as well. So moving in together or getting engaged or having a baby or, or something like that, where there's more commitment then starts the, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if this is a relationship for me, but like, mm, could be better. Grass is always greener, right? That sort of thing. And so what happens is a lot of couples break up in this phase because they they take that to mean they're in the wrong relationship now in some cases you may definitely be in the wrong relationship and you've actually been ignoring all the signs because you were high on drugs you know and for other couples it's like no like this too shall pass um but this requires work so actually it's not like like the honeymoon phase just naturally subsides but the power struggle can go on and on and on and on and on and a lot of couples will live their entire lives in the power struggle because they're not actually leaning in to those conversations noticing the patterns that keep coming up doing the work to move through those triggers all of those things so it's a very it's very easy to fall apart in that space or as you said use it as a teaching and a learning space and grow and evolve together. Two things on that. So the when you come out of the honeymoon phase and you start going to, what did you call it? The power. The power struggle. Power struggle. Do you think there's also an element of, I knew what it was like, I wish it could go back to that? And of you're course. And you're holding on to the honeymoon phase? Of course. And there can be grief around that. And I remember one of my mentors, like, years ago, she was talking about her son growing up. And she was like, I feel like I've attended like a thousand funerals because it's like I'm having to grieve the baby version of him and then the toddler version of him and then the little child and then the teenager, like all of these things. It was like, yes, we're moving into this new phase, but I also really grieve this part because it's never going to be that again. And so it's knowing like, okay, this is really normal. This is really common. It's okay for me to experience these feelings. What could, what else could we possibly evolve into? What if like, what if you're spending all your time trying to go back to the honeymoon phase, but actually what's on the other side of this power struggle is way better than the honeymoon phase. But you're like, no, we need to get back there. (laughs) You know, so that was my um, my next comment was, do you I believe that your relationship can be constantly ever expanding. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. So it can always be getting better and improving. Totally. If you have the mindset of receiving an expansive relationship, I suppose. Absolutely. Like, I'm just really not available for the mindset of like, you know, once you get married, 
it's all downhill and it's all shit and you get comfortable with each other and then you stop having sex. I'm like, okay, first off, why would anyone get married if that's what's on the other side of it? Well, I suppose it's the same as when they say once you leave school, life gets hard and boring. But it's like fucking the opposite. Yeah, I'm like, life has been (laughs) way better since I left school, (laughs) let me tell you. But so for me, I'm like, no, I see like when I get married, that is going to be the most expansive container. Like things are just going to get better and better and better the more intimate that I get with my partner and with myself. There's just no other option. So yeah, I think it's being able to hold another person in their evolution and hold yourself in your evolution. And for me, I think there's like three parties in a relationship. There's me, there's you, and there's the relationship as a third entity. And so it's asking instead of like, what do I want? Or what does this person want? It's what is the relationship need right now? Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. Yeah. It's almost like your child. Exactly. It really is. And I think people can get very complacent in their relationships of, you know, oh, we're committed now. And so they stop putting in the work and then are gobsmacked when it all falls apart. Mm. I'm like, yes, because this this relationship requires something of you. It requires you to keep leaning in. It requires you to grow. But a lot of people will run at that thought. A lot of people don't want to grow. I don't know why. I think it's a fear of, I don't know, I can't or... Because even it's in all life, but um, that's probably an entirely new podcast. Yeah. I w- <laughs> I'd yeah. like to, um, the final question, I'm, we've touched on a lot of things that will unfuck your relationship, but what's something we've missed that you, if you can think of, that, I haven't, that we haven't covered? I don't know if we haven't covered it, but I think the biggest thing that will unfuck your relationships, your external relationships is you unfucking your relationship with yourself. Stop hiding from yourself. You know, like these these feelings, these triggers are coming up for you to feel them, to experience them, to be with them and love them and accept them. They're not there for you to go into a TikTok hole so you can avoid it. It's going to keep coming up. So, yeah, it's this space of really getting to know yourself, asking yourself questions, being in this energy of observing your patterns in, in everything. What are your patterns with food, with sex, with friends, with money, all of these things? Cause I can assure you there's a common thread and being really willing to look at that and slowly clean that up. Because I know for me, when I started to look at all my energy leaks and my patterns, I was like, these need to be cleaned up by like Tuesday (laughs) and like that kind of energy is it puts so much pressure on yourself and that's not actually a safe or nourishing environment for your nervous system so that's another thing is really taking care of your nervous system so that you can be relaxed so you can receive so that you can be in pleasure like all of those things and and yeah being really honest with yourself when those just to wrap it up on what you've said when when those triggers come up and those emotions or that you don't want to deal with and you pick up your phone or you have a drink or you eat some food you're you're basically rewarding bad behavior because you're getting the feelings that you know you should transcend through but rather than feeling them you're getting a dopamine hit from instagram so you're giving yourself a drug for doing for not healing Mm. you're just training yourself to that's your new pattern totally 
Totally. And it's that like addiction to instant gratification, which, you know, I get it. I get it. But also, yeah. (laughs) We still are there. (laughs) Yeah, totally. All right. Well, that was awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing.